Happy Labor Day. You're listening to Equipped, the preaching ministry of First Baptist Dry Prong in Dry Prong, Louisiana. Today begins a new church year, and it also begins a new sermon series as we preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. The series is entitled, Putting God's House in Order, and today's message is entitled, God Can Bless This Mess. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're going to begin preaching through 1 Corinthians, as I shared with you a few weeks ago. I'm excited to do this. It'll, it'll take a while, but I believe, I just believe with all my heart that's where God has led me to go. I want to begin this morning. I, I am so excited. I really, really am. This is one of my favorite months because it's kind of a launching point into all of my favorite things. I've been here long enough now. Y'all know some of my favorite things. Football. We get to watch football tonight. We're just a few weeks away from being able to go deer hunting. Just a few weeks away from, uh, from colder weather. Praise the Lord. I can't wait for that. Not long we'll be able to uh, do holidays and all that kind of stuff. I've got a lot I'm excited about. I've realized that over the last year I've been here, I've shared a lot with you about the things I love and the things I like. But I got to thinking, I don't know how much I've shared with y'all about the things I really don't like. And uh, I thought it would be a good launching point to share with you as we get into 1 Corinthians about something that your pastor just doesn't like to deal with. And here it is, I don't like a mess. I don't like messiness. I don't like disorder. Uh, And I really hate it because... You clean it, and then you just have a mess again over and over and over. And that is a problem for me because y'all know that I have a soon-to-be four- and six-year-old. And I don't care how many times you clean the mess up. It just keeps coming right back. So I've just learned as a parent to just deal with the messes as they come. Some messes aren't a big deal, but some messes, if you don't deal with it, can become a very big deal. For example, when I was a kid, I, I had a glass of milk, and I left it in my room, and my mom started wondering what the stench was. Uh, and then I said, maybe it's this, Mama, and that milk had become cheese. It had been in my room so, so long. So messes come, but we have to deal with them. Now, what I've discovered is not only as a parent how to deal with messes, I've discovered that also being a pastor is much like that. Because can I just tell you that ministry is messy? Ministry is just messy. That's just the way it is. Anybody in here that's been involved with any kind of ministry, I don't care whether it's vacation Bible school, I don't care whether it's music ministry, youth ministry, there just comes times when things get messy. And it is just such a blessing that God has given us His perfect Word to show us that messiness in ministry, messiness in life is not new. And God's given us a blueprint for how to deal with it. The First Corinthian church is one of those churches that dealt with all kinds of messiness. And today I want to go through the first ten verses. Before I get there, let me just tell you about some of the things that was going on in the Corinthian church, some background of the text. We know that the author is the Apostle Paul. He says as much in the first chapter and the last, last chapter. We also know that he writes it from the book of uh, Ephesus. A fun fact about the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's in your Bible. It says 1 Corinthians. But in reality, this is Paul's at least second letter to the Corinthians. It says in uh, chapter 5, verse 9, I believe, that he... Uh, 
his previous letter that he had wrote him before. Professors call this Corinthian correspondence. So there's a couple of undiscovered letters. But Paul wrote this letter that we're reading probably in the spring of 57 A.D., shortly before the Feast of Pentecost. The city of Corinth is a Greek city, and it's about 50 miles west of the city of Athens, very close. And the Corinth of Paul's day was relatively new, and the, the old Corinth burned down due to a, a war in the Peloponnesian War in 146 B.C. Now, this city was a city dedicated to the gods, and because of that, a hundred years were required to pass before the city could be rebuilt. And Julius Caesar rebuilt the city, and he populated it with the colony of veterans, freedmen, and named it Julia Corinthius. And it soon became a very important commercial center. There's a lot going on in this city of Corinth. It had a population of about 400,000, and it was a prominent center of commerce in the Mediterranean world. And because of the Mediterranean world and all that's going on, it became a place for all sorts of, of vice, all sorts of sin, we would call it. An example of immorality was found in the Temple of Venus, which hosted a thousand priestesses dedicated to prostitution in the name of religion. And it's probably because Corinth was so close to Athens, it added to this problem of intellectualism that we'll read about. And as we're going to read, this environment, it just had a bad effect on the church of Corinth. And truthfully, it's amazing that a church existed in such a city at all. The church was established during Paul's second missionary journey by, by Paul. And you can read about that in Acts 18, 1 through 18. Now, let me tell you about some of the messiness that's going on. And we're going to read about this in the weeks and, and maybe even months ahead. But it appears that the church was just adversely affected by the immoral environment found in the city. Pride had called division in the church, disruption in the services. Immorality and immodesty found its way into this church, which just gave it a bad reputation. If that wasn't bad enough, the brethren were taking their personal problems with each other before the heathen courts instead of working them out among themselves. There's other issues affecting the church. Questions about marriage, meat sacrifice to idols, women praying and prophesying with heads uncovered, the use of spiritual gifts, even the resurrection from the dead. This church was... was was just filled with messiness, problems and questions that needed to be answered. And this is why Paul wrote the letter, because the bad news concerning the problems at Corinth had reached Paul in Ephesus. And it came from a lady named Chloe and another letter sent to him that we'll read about in chapter seven. And Paul hears about the messiness and he writes it. And I think the big idea, the main idea, the central idea of the text this morning as we launch into this is that things get messy in ministry, but God can bless any mess. Paul believed that even with all that was going on in this city, whether it be divisions, whether it be immorality, whether it be immodesty, whether it's even something as crazy as a doctrine we hold dear, the resurrection from the dead, Paul believed that God could bless the mess or he would not have wrote the letter to begin with. So today I'm going to walk through the first 10 verses and uh, uh, I'm going to point out some truths that I see in this text that we can apply in our new church here going forward. So let's start by just reading verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God as Sosthenes, our brother. Now, usually, a lot of times we read over that. And this is a traditional greeting by Paul, which you'll find in almost all of his epistles. It's actually a way most people used to write letters in this time. And if you think about it, it makes more sense because when we read a letter now, we've got to go to the last page, the signature, to know who it comes from. But Paul wanted them to know right away that he was the one writing this. And I think given the problems that this young, immature church was facing, his introduction carries a special significance. The significance or the truth of the importance of authority. In this case, it's the reality of apostolic authority. See, Paul wanted them to know his role that he had within the church. There were 12 apostles plus Paul. Now, Paul's clear that he's called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Paul did not ask for this role. It was given to him by Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus Road. Paul, in this statement, he's not being prideful. He's not being haughty. He's not being boastful. He is just simply starting the letter by stating the truth. It would be like me sending you an email saying, Pastor Kevin Goodman. That's the truth. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Drive Prong, and Paul is an, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So as an apostle, Paul was commissioned by Christ himself. As an apostle, we recognize his authority within the church even today. We're reading his words today, and we recognize the words in this letter as inspired, inerrant, and true. Now, while Paul understood the divisions, and while he understood that some may like others' teaching styles better, he expected them to respect, listen, and adhere to his words contained within the letter. That's why he starts it off this way, and that's why he starts them all off this way. Church, as we go into this new church year, I want you to realize something. That many times divisions and messiness are stirred up within a church because we don't respect any kind of authority. And because we don't respect authority, because we don't trust authority, this is what we do. We try to work around it. We try to get our little factions and do our own things. And we do just like the Corinthians have done here. We get the attitude that, that we all we need is our guy or our gal, or maybe all we need is the Holy Spirit, and that's it. But I just want to remind you that's not what the Bible says. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.11, that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So church member, let me tell you, if you are a born again believer, if you really believe this Bible is true, inerrant, inspired, then you must believe Paul's word that Christ calls some to be apostles and pastors and teachers. To be a believer and not believe in any kind of authority to submit to is just simply ignoring God's holy word. We get such a, a bad taste in our mouths of this idea of authority. And it, when that happens, messiness occurs. I want to tell you, authority within a church is not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing. Let me tell you, this doesn't mean that, that we're supposed to agree on every single thing. That's not the case at all. You may not like or, or agree with me as your pastor on every single issue. 
But I just want to tell you, church member, at a minimum, as a church member, you should respect the pastor, listen to the pastor, and trust the pastor. Now just, that, that could sound cocky, but that was not Paul's intention, and that's not my intention, because when you get to a place where you don't trust the church's leaders, you get into a really messy place, and the truth is, the truth is, if you don't trust your pastor, what's the point of even having one? As we go into this new church year, let me share with you, at the end of this service and at the end of every service, Sunday morning and Sunday night, I'm going to give an invitation. And during the invitation, what happens is the pastor gives an appeal and he invites people to make a decision for Christ. So over the next year, you figure 50 services uh, two, two every Sunday. That's a hundred invitations. I'm going to stand out here and I'm going to just beg and I'm going to plead that anybody lost would trust me, trust God's word. Now I ask you, church, trust is a big deal because how can you expect the lost person to trust the pastor during an invitation when the church member doesn't trust the pastor on other issues? Trust is important. So I hope you'll just see this very first verse. Going into this new church year, and I hope that, that you'll decide not to negate, not to work around authority, because I'm telling you, without authority, the whole building just comes crumbling down. And this is what this is what happens when you don't respect the teacher's authority, the pastor's authority. Well, then you're going to have to question, well, did Paul really mean that? Then you're not respecting the apostles authority. And then you get to that place. And then you're going to question the Bible's authority. And then ultimately, you end up questioning Christ's authority. So I just beg with you this morning. Let's go into this new church here, realizing the importance of authority. To trust the word. To trust your church's leaders. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted them to trust him in the instructions he was going to give going forward. And I ask the same for you as well. In verse 2. He continues, and let's read the next two verses. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are called in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Uh, a question that's asked to me, when, especially whenever I've shared with others that I was going to preach through 1 Corinthians. We've just talked about all the problems that, that are in the book of 1 Corinthians. And a question I get asked a lot, wow, Kevin, do you believe they're that bad? And that's kind of a, a loaded question because truthfully, I don't view you as that bad. I view you as just having that much potential. When Paul writes them, he doesn't say to the church of God, which is caught up in all of this immorality, to the divided church. He doesn't say, I'm writing to the crazy church that's got doctrine all messed up. No, he doesn't say that. He addresses them as saints. And I, I think this is the second truth in the text, is that Paul does this because every church has problems. This is a letter that was written as a response to a letter he received within the church. And you're going to see how he addresses them in the weeks to come. And man, there's no, no question about it. This church had several issues. Yet, in this, in verse 2, he calls them saints. 
As a matter of fact, if, if you dig down into the Greek, if your Bible's like mine, right there in verse 2, that little participle to be, that's in either in italics or in brackets because in the Greeks that's not there. Paul says, hey, you're called saints. It's an intriguing thing that he would do such a thing. And I have to say that Paul would do this because he knew what I know and what you should know is that there is no such thing as a perfect church. Just as every parent of toddlers has toys in the floor and it's messy, every church and every ministry is messy too. I want to tell you, church, going into this new church year, I love this place. I love First Baptist Dry Prong. And I loved, loved, loved my last church, Beth River Baptist Church. And I loved my home church where I grew up, where I was saved, Chase Baptist Church. But I've got to tell you, if you think this place or those places are perfect, have ever been perfect, or will ever be perfect, you have been grievously misled. Because the church has never been, nor will it ever be perfect. And let me just share with you, if you were to find the perfect church, do not join it because you're going to ruin it. There's no way. The idea of finding a perfect church, that would be like me going to the dry prone clinic or going to Cabrini tomorrow or going to Rapids and me getting to the hospital and being surprised that there's sick people there. It would be like me going to somebody's house who has a young child and being surprised that they have diapers in the trash. And the truth is, if you could, if it was even possible to find a, a group of perfect church people, it wouldn't be a biblical church because the gospel, by its very nature, what we're supposed to be standing on, what we're supposed to be sharing, the gospel, by its very nation, nature, attracts broken people. The church is a hospital to sinners. Paul Paul, the writer, even though he was an apostle, even though he was commissioned by Christ himself, he called himself the chief of all sinners. I don't care where you go, but I just want to share with you this. You are not going to find a perfect church. We're a house full of sinners who have been forgiven and who are working out our sanctification. It's so important that you realize this truth. Paul realized this, and I don't know if the Corinthians realize it or not. But when you realize this truth, number one, you're not going to cut and run because the illusion that anywhere else is better is just an illusion. But the other things that come along with this, when you realize that no place is perfect, when you realize what the truth really is, well, then you're going to have compassion on others in this new church here. You're not going to be boastful in your actions this new church here. This new church year, when, when stuff comes up, you're going to be able to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. You're going to go to your pastor in love rather than hate. You'll confess when you mess up and you will welcome every sinner that walks through them doors just like Jesus Christ would with love, with truth, and with compassion. Church, there's, there's no perfect church. There is a perfect Savior who this church belongs to. That's our job, to point imperfect people to the perfect Savior. Let's keep on reading, and, uh, and we'll see the third truth, starting in verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. 
that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This third truth I think that Paul tries to point out here is that God equips His church with all its needs. He says it in verse 5, Look, you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance, in all knowledge. Man, I'll just go back to, to dealing with the, with the kids. It's one of the hardest things about being a parent, but God has equipped us with wonderful things like the dishwasher and like the trash can and all that stuff. And just as God has equipped every parent to be able to handle the mess at home, He has equipped His church to do everything we need to fix whatever mess may arrive. You see, Paul wanted them to know that while they had fallen short, where there were divisions, where there was problem of immorality, where there was problems of order, where there was problems of doctrine, they had all they needed to be a healthy, thriving, growing church to reach their community. And church, I want to tell you, it's the same today. God has equipped every born-again believer in this place with unique spiritual gifts that are to be used in His kingdom. And I'm just telling you, I'm just as confident as I can be about this, that in a church this size, that there are some in here that have such great untapped gifts that aren't being used. Some of you in here have wonderful teaching ability. I wouldn't be surprised if some in here knew the Bible better than me. Some of you in here have the gift of service. Some of you have a gift of generosity. Some of you have the gift of music, the gift of evangelism. And I'm telling you, this new church year, if every church member would use their God-given gifts as Christ intended, I believe with all of my heart we'll be here next year and it'll be standing room only in this place. I really believe that. But too many times we think God can't use a sinner like me. I've not been to seminary. I'm not qualified. I can't do this. And I just refer you back to the Corinthians. They had every problem you could possibly imagine. And Paul says, look, you've got everything you need. Everything by Him. Everything in Jesus. Go into this church here. Find your gift. Be a functioning member of the body. We'll read about this later in chapter 12. But know this. Every member has an important place here. Just as you need me as your pastor, I can tell you, your pastor, your church needs you as well. You're not here by accident. You're here because God needs you. Or God wants you. I wouldn't say He needs you, but He wants you and I need you. The last thing I want you to see in this is, this is going to be the ending point of this week and the launching point in the next week. Paul says in verse 10, after going through all this, after saying who he was, who they were, that they're well equipped. You see one of the first problems that he begins to address and it's the, the dangers of divisions. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What I see here is Paul is just stating the danger of 
divisions. This word plead in verse 10, it's from the Greek parakaleo. It's associated with begging, pleading, imploring, urging, an appeal, a plea. And Paul is just laying it out here and he's saying, guys, you've got everything you need. I love you. Jesus loves you. You've got everything. Now I'm just pleading with you that you go forward and that you not be divided. You see, it's one of the natural things that comes up with church. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword. Because you see, we're a church that has great talent, great leaders, a church who has had great leaders, a church that has great abilities. But mark it down, a church with great talent, with great leaders, with great abilities, with great education. When you've got all those things comes the danger of great dis division. And Paul lays it all out. He's, Paul's desire is that this church be united rather than divided. Because the mess will always stay a mess until we get united. And we'll read more about this next week. But know this, church. There's a reason Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, that a house divided cannot stand. You think it's a mess now? Well, you just let the divisions and all that come and just see what a mess it will be. This is also why Jesus at the Last Supper in John 17, he prays for his disciples and he prays for the believers. He prays for you and me at the Last Supper and all the things Jesus could pray for. You go read it. Jesus prays that believers will be united. It's in John 17, 22 through 23. He says, Lord, I pray they will be one just as you and I are one. Jesus Christ, our rock, our savior, the founder of this church wants us to be united. Does that mean we'll agree on everything? No. Look, some of you may, may have a different eschatology than me. Some of you may have a different viewpoint of, of soteriology, Calvinism, Arminianism. We'll talk about that going forward too. But these things on dogmatic issues, man, we, we may disagree on some things. But on the main things, we should be united and God will bless this mess. We should be united on the word. We should be united on Christ. We should be united on the gospel. We should be united in our zeal and our goal to reach the lost for Christ. We should be united that Christ is king and he's coming back for his bride. And we should be united that this is his church and we want to clean the mess up and be beautiful for him when he comes back. Can you be united with me on that? Church, I'm telling you, unity builds up, but division tears down. And if you want God to bless this mess, we've got to surrender to his lordship. We've got to appreciate all the things He's given us. We've got to realize that it's His church. And we've got to stick together for God to bless the mess. And that's what Paul knew. We'll go on and as you can see, it's going to be a long book because this book is just so rich. And let me just tell you, I'm going to tell you now as we get into it, if you get through this 1 Corinthians book and you're not convicted by something... You need to check yourself because there's some very convicting things in this book. But can I just share with you this morning? 
the most important thing I can share. I can give you all I can give you all kinds of books. I can give you all kinds of pointers, leadership books, church books, evangelism books. And it's just as sure as every church has problems, every individual has problems. Let me tell you what the solution to every single problem is. The solution to every mess is really this simple. The solution is the gospel. The one thing that should unite us all is the gospel. Paul writes this to the saints. And I didn't go deep into it, but what's, what's the saints? Is it somebody that's died and been canonized? No. There's two types of people in this world. There's the saints and there's the ain'ts. Either you're a saint or you ain't. Either you've got the gospel, you've received the gospel, you're saved and you're being sanctified, God is blessing your mess and you're going forward, or you're just a mess without hope. You can't be a saint without the gospel. Ultimately, ultimately it's the gospel and a relationship with Jesus that makes you a church member in the first place. It isn't the roles, it isn't a matter of voting. Is it the Southern Baptist Convention? It's not Brother Kevin. What makes you a member of the body is Christ himself. And church, I'll tell you once again, a church that's not built on the gospel, a church that's not built on the rock, isn't a church, it's a country club. I want to invite you all to go on an exciting journey in 2023, 2024. But I want you to go on this with me as a biblical church member. And I don't even necessarily mean a, a member of Dry Prong. I mean a member of Christ's body. Serving Him, loving Him, being saved. Letting God take your mess and make it into something beautiful. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. I hope you understood it. I hope you found ways that you can apply it in your own life. I hope you'll recognize the importance of authority within the local church. I hope you know that every church has its problems and that God equips his church with all that is needed. I hope you'll understand the dangers of division. And I hope you know that the solution to every problem, every church problem, every individual problem is the gospel itself. I hope you have a happy Labor Day, and I hope you'll come join us this church here for worship at Dry Prong. We meet for Sunday school every Sunday at 8.50 and worship at 10. Have a great week.